0: Our cases here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed involve physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Please listen with caution and care. Reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, if you or someone you love needs help. No one is alone. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good morning, Beck. Good morning, Mel. How are you? I'm doing good today. How are you? I must say, you look fantastic today. Oh, she's commenting on <laughs> my new Rocky Mountain red-handed t-shirt. They are so good looking. Yes, and so soft, so comfortable. It'll I be did, great for the I summer. Did. I actually like went up to Mel and I felt the, the material on her sleeve and they are very soft. Yes, so though that giveaway will be coming shortly. We don't have a date specifically yet but we were going to get that soon so make sure that you have received a sticker from us you need to send us a dm or an email our instagram is rocky mountain red-handed our email is rocky mountain red Handed at gmail.com and you can find us on facebook so make sure you send us a message we can get you a sticker follow subscribe like all those things right exactly yeah and we've been talking about our stickers they're they're really cool yes they look great on like a hydro flask or a stanley or a laptop um, but it says keep your hands clean, which is our little catchphrase. You guys, know, you guys know. Yes. But you definitely will want a sticker, and you got to have a sticker to be entered to get one of these amazing T-shirts. They are full color. Yeah. They are so good looking. Super cute. Yes. So mm-hmm. we are going to jump right into our case then. So Beck, what was your first job? Okay. Well, my dad was an entrepreneur, so he owned gas stations oh, all okay. over the county, and so like I was like seven and he put me to work at his gas station. Well, there you go. (laughs) But my first like legit job was at a restaurant. I don't even know if it's still around, but it's called Hoagie Yogi. I know the restaurant, but I don't know if it's around anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So I made sandwiches and made frozen yogurt treats. Mm -hmm. And I remember I I was 15, but I didn't weigh enough. So I had to like jump up on the lever to push the ice cream through Oh man! and like use all of my body weight. So Get yeah, I grew up working a lot though. I'm glad my parents made me work. How about you, Mel? Um, I, my first job was working at a clothing store called Copper Rivet. It no longer exists. The Riv, we've talked about this. Yes, I, I worked actually rib. up until I worked the very last day the last store was open. That's so so yeah, I worked there for a long time. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. Yeah. So some first jobs are pretty terrible, but others are pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so I think our focus on today's case had a pretty great first job. In Yellowstone County, Montana, the city of Laurel sits along the Yellowstone River. Yeah. In nineteen ninety-eight, that's the year I graduated, by the way. It was a beloved home to nearly five thousand five hundred people. The local oil refinery and railroads is where almost everyone worked. So the community was tight knit. Their lives were super entwined. Mm-hmm. It isn't unheard of to know several generations of the same family. People like to stay close to their parents and grandparents in this community. School spirit ran deep for Laurel High School, the school logo being a charging locomotive, another reflection of their community and the history of their city. I actually think that's a really cool mascot. Yeah, that is cool. A locomotive, that's really cool. So in November of 1998, Laurel was blanketed in bright yellow flyers and posters. A picture of a beautiful dark haired girl was at the center. In bold letters across the top, the word REWARD. During the first week, this reward started at $11,500. Then it quickly grew to $16,500. Mike Rossi, a transplant to the area, he had been a police officer in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, He was a man that loved his community, which was his new home of Laurel. He donated just $100 and publicly encouraged others to do the same. He said, quote, I know my $100 isn't a lot of money, but you multiply that by 1,000 concerned citizens, then you've got something. Let's show the community we're not going to take this. Let's show this girl's family how we feel. Shortly after Mike's plea, it increased to $18,500. Then to no one's surprise, it reached $25,000 which now would be about $46,000 now. Yeah, I think it's really neat that this man who was really relatively new to the community stepped up, um, helped, and encouraged others to donate for this reward. I completely agree. He could have just sat back, but obviously this guy is like a natural leader. It's really neat. Yeah. The mother of the dark-haired girl appreciated the community's financial support, yet she believed it wasn't the reward that really caught people's attention it was the picture of the young woman. Yeah, this girl, this family that Mike Rossi spoke of, the Fenner family, Miranda Fenner. She was just 18 years old when her life was taken from her. Born in Sacramento the day after Christmas in 1979, Miranda Colleen Fenner was the belated Christmas gift her parents, Mike and Sherry, had been waiting for. She was a beautiful, chunky little angel. Followed by a younger brother, Tim, the Fenner family craved the small town life instead of the crime and the big city problems of California. They relocated to be closer to family and made the move to Laurel in 1989. Laurel was just 15 minutes southwest of Billings and seemed to be a perfect fit for the Fenners. Miranda had no problem making and keeping friends. She seemed to be friends with everyone, not a girl that stuck to a clique. She had close friends in all the typical high school groups, preppy friends, FFA friends, outsider friends brainiac friends they all really seem to like spending time with miranda which that's really cool that actually shows a lot of self-confidence in a teenager yeah that's Usually really cool. people get stuck in cliques and they just kind of stay in their own group but For not sure. miranda that's awesome yeah so miranda had a strong personality and wasn't afraid to speak her mind my type of girl she was a force of nature and made true connections with people after graduation miranda planned to pursue a career in child development she wasn't sure how yet, but she knew that she wanted to work with children. So after graduation, Miranda was involved in a really horrific car accident. She was seriously injured. In fact, she broke her neck. That's crazy. You don't hear about an injury that serious very often. Yeah, I know. Very scary. Yeah, really scary. So doctors told her she, would, she should make a full recovery, yet she would need to be very patient with her body, which is... It's It's going to be really hard for a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. The following months after the accident, Miranda wore a full neck brace and was physically restricted. She needed to allow her body time to heal. This meant staying indoors and taking it easy at her mom and dad's house. Not like partying it up on the river or enjoying the beautiful Montana summer nights outdoors. Later that year, Miranda was physically well enough to get a part-time job. I'm sure she was very anxious to get out of the house. (laughs) She worked at the movie store. A VHS and DVD rental place located at 419 Main Street in Laurel. So I love this. I spent so much time in video <laughs> rental stores in high school. Yes, um, Hollywood Video was our hangup. Hollywood yep. Video. We mm-hmm. went there a lot too in Blockbuster. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the movie store was just about three blocks from home and directly across the street from a hotel. Uh, Miranda's grandparents owned and managed her family and friends were constantly in and out renting their own videos or driving by and could like see her inside chatting with customers yeah Miranda and her parents felt completely comfortable um with her there even when she closed alone at 10 p.m they knew practically everyone in town and Miranda's dad always picked her up after closing Just three nights before Miranda's murder, she and her mother were talking about what to do if the store was ever robbed. Yeah. Miranda said she knew exactly what to do. Quote, just give them the money. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Miranda enjoyed her life at this stage, one foot in childhood living at home and working part time in her own hometown. The other foot in adulthood, she was really ready to begin her college experience, applying to several colleges in Montana and saving every dime she could to move out. Yeah, the world was at Miranda's feet. She was preparing to make that leap into the future. Until November 15th, 1998, it was a chilly night. 50 degrees and cloudy. The evening was slow around town with it being a Sunday night and cold. Hardly any traffic was on Main Street and Miranda's shift at the movie store must have been a slow one. If the movie store was like every other video rental place in the US, it must have looked something like this. The home video releases of November 1998 were neatly spaced and stacked on the shelves throughout the store. Along with movie posters covering the walls hung in askew angles all over the store. The big releases at the time were Armageddon, starring Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck, which I totally love. Yes. I've watched that movie like a thousand times. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, and I like the Aerosmith song to it. Mm -hmm. I listened to that Song on repeat, driving to my first apartment, like bawling my eyes out. (laughs) Robert Redford's "The Horse Whisperer," which was probably really popular there because it was filmed in Montana. Mm -hmm. Lay Miss," starring Liam Neeson and Jeffrey Mm -hmm. Rush, and it's just okay. Do you remember that movie? I love Lay Miss." I do too. But remember that one didn't have the music. Yeah, how do you? You can't have. You can't blame Miss and not the music. No, the music is what makes it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Miranda stayed busy by taking down some movie posters and putting up new ones for upcoming releases. Yeah. She thought her nieces may want a Disney poster, which was headed to the trash, so she called her uncle at about seven PM to see if they would like it. Um, my sister, I have to add this in really quick. My sister worked at a place called sounds easy video. Mm-hmm. And so when I was growing up, I always had movie posters on my wall because they were free. That's awesome. I remember I had a few good men with the big old Tom Cruise face, Buffy, the vampire slayer. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honeymoon in Vegas. Oh, fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Miranda and her mom, Sherry chatted on the phone that evening too. They were both at work that night, so um, Sherry worked at the local JCPenney, so they just were kind of catching up. Everything seemed normal and good at the movie store. The last documented customer left the movie store at 7.40 p.m. They reported nothing out of the ordinary. Just 40 minutes later, two local men drove down Main Street after a day out hunting. At approximately 8.20 p.m., they drove past the movie store and saw something outside. At first, they weren't quite sure what it was. Something wasn't quite right. They stopped and looked closer. It was a woman. Miranda was lying in front of the movie store, and she was covered in blood. The two Good Samaritans called 911 immediately, and within minutes, Officer Mark Guy of the Laurel City Police Department arrived. All four police officers who were on duty would be there, along with EMTs, and they would do what they could to save Miranda's life. Miranda was breathing but barely. She was unresponsive with a very weak pulse. The paramedics arrived and knew that she was barely hanging on at that point. St. Vincent Hospital in Billings was just about 20 minutes away, yet, they requested lifelight immediately. They didn't have the 20 minutes to drive to the hospital to spare. The only shot Miranda had was lifelight. So, this is really sad. During the chaos of the emergency workers and law enforcement, no one noticed the young boy on his bicycle looking at the bloody scene. It was Tim, Miranda's little brother. He saw his sister outside the movie store, laying in the pool of her own blood. He had planned to go see his sister and rent a video game from her. Instead, he saw her dying on the cold concrete. <sighs> he raced home to tell his father. That's the saddest thing it's you so ever sad. heard. Mike, Miranda's father, arrived within minutes and was told his daughter was in critical condition. They weren't sure yet what had happened to her. Yeah, Mike phoned Sherry, and they raced together to St. Vincent's. In fact, Miranda's parents had actually arrived at the hospital before the life flight, which, I mean, it doesn't really surprise mm-hmm. me. parents love the strong. They were probably driving so fast. Yeah, I would be driving like a mad woman to be with my child for yeah. sure. Miranda went straight into surgery as the horrible news spread throughout little Laurel. Her friends, family, and even strangers prayed for her to make it through the night. At 10 p.m., the surgeon approached Mike and Jerry with the news. Miranda had died. The medical team did all they could possibly do. There were just too many injuries, too much blood loss. Miranda Fenner had been murdered. Photos, flowers, candles, and signs of love and support piled the storefront of the movie store. Taped to the door of the movie store, a paper with a handwritten message, quote, please God take care of our sweet angel and take care of our town. Thad Muller, the owner of the movie store was mourning the loss of his employee and friend. He donated $5,000 to the reward fund. The entire population of Yellowstone County was suffering. How could this happen in their community? Yeah, Yellowstone County had just about 125,000 people in the entire county. Yeah, this must have been so devastating for them. The entire community must have felt really scared. For sure. Yeah, the county and city officials dedicated all their resources and manpower 24-7 to the Miranda Fenner case. Law enforcement believed that sometime between 7.40 p.m., which was when the last known customer left the store, Mm -hmm. and 8 p.m., someone had attacked Miranda. Yellowstone County Detective Seth Westone and Laurel Police Officer Mark Guy worked the case together. Miranda had been stabbed in the head, neck, and her throat had been slashed. She had not been sexually assaulted, so it wasn't a sexually motivated crime. She had fought, and she had really fought hard. Mm -hmm. She seemed to have known that this was literally a fight for her life. Detective Weston and Officer Guy believe that she was taken to the back of the store and the attacker had bound her feet. He then stabbed and slashed her with his knife and fled the store with the cash from the register. And this part just makes me so angry. Like, why did he need to kill her just to rob her? She knew to give away the money. Yeah, yeah. Like, agreed. It's so unnecessary. Plus... How much money could have been in that register? Maybe a couple hundred bucks. Right. And it just, it's so sad that he felt it was necessary to kill her for just a couple hundred bucks. So sad. He could have just left her in the back. Yeah. Or she would have just handed it over. Uh, yeah, she would have. Yeah, they've already heard her mom discuss that, that she was not willing to fight with, with someone in that situation. No. Miranda crawled over 60 feet to the sidewalk in the front of the store. She left behind a trail of blood. Law enforcement and crime scene techs thoroughly worked the scene. They collected 100 fingerprints and over one thousand pieces of hair i mean so great that law enforcement is being so thorough but i can only imagine how many people go in and out of that movie store oh it's just a business uh, yeah uh-huh and i doubt that the store is getting like a gray carpet cleaning that often <laughs> right. so no wonder they found over one thousand pieces of hair the montana state crime lab began by processing over 200 pieces of evidence the police combed the perimeter of the video store they checked contents in garbage cans rooftops of neighboring buildings and interviewed literally hundreds of people the detectives checked every person in the customer database and all the leads led to dead ends all of miranda's friends were interviewed Did they know of any like drug use anything like that were there any stalkers from of miranda anyone who miranda had mentioned nothing no red flags in her life the attacker did not leave the murder weapon behind but police knew that they were looking for a large, very powerful weapon. Any crime committed in Montana or neighboring states were looked at. Maybe this guy was like a serial killer yielding a knife. Everyone in town wondered, was Miranda's killer living among them? Or was he a transient who had just passed through town? And now let's go ahead and take a break for our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Now back to our story. Yeah, so I-90 literally cuts right through Laurel. In fact, Main Street is a portion of I-90. Which is really common in those small towns. Mm -hmm. It would be fairly easy for someone to stop in at the movie store, unfortunately, murder Miranda, and then get back on the interstate and disappear. And what about the railroad? Yeah, the detectives looked heavily into the Texas Railroad Killer, um, a serial killer who abducted all of his victims near railroad tracks throughout America. Do you know that case, Mel? I do know a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. This, This seemed like a really promising lead laurel is a hub of the railways the tracks cut right through town and the movie store is literally just one block from the railroad the texas railroad killer had victims in 13 states including nine murders yet another dead end he was captured and convicted in 1999 law enforcement discovered he had not been through montana so for months they followed every lead they had Every shred of evidence, every person of interest. Law enforcement questioned over 800 people. The FBI had contributed a profile of the killer, and the the Montana Bureau of Investigation contributed their resources and expertise. Still nothing. Eventually, Miranda's case went cold. The police would not just sit by any longer. They really were willing to try anything. So we're going to go off on a little adventure that we haven't on our podcast yet, Mel. Do you believe in psychic abilities? We haven't had this conversation even as friends. No, we haven't. No. You don't? don't. Do you? I believe in being in touch with energies on a a deeper level. Yeah, I get that. But like crystal ball, no. Mm -mm. No, I don't think a psychic could tell you who murdered somebody or... Well, let's see, Mel, shall we? Are you going to try and change my mind? (laughs) We'll see if this episode does. Well, even though neither Yellowstone County Detective Seth Westone or Laurel Police Officer Mark Guy believed in psychics, they agreed to pursue a quite unorthodox investigation tactic. In 2006, which is eight years after Miranda's murder, the Fenner family asked law enforcement to work with the investigation discovery for a television show called Sensing Murder. Yeah, and you can watch this show. It's available on Prime. I watched it for um, this research and it's pretty interesting, hmm. pretty okay. interesting, yeah. With cameras rolling, sensing murder brought in two well-known and respected psychics to look at Miranda's case. And who knows, maybe it would work. I totally understand why the family is literally like willing to try every avenue. I would be too. Yeah, it's been, what, eight, eight years since yeah. the murder, so they're, they're just willing to try anything. The two women were Pam Coronado, who is clairvoyant. She believes she can see crimes in vivid detail. And also Lori Campbell, who is a medium, she says she is guided by voices from the other side. The two psychics do not work together. Yeah, so they do not talk about the case in any way for fear that they could, like, jeopardize or influence the clarity of their impressions. So they are completely separate. Before arriving at the police station, neither woman had any knowledge of Miranda's case, just that they are going to assist law enforcement on an unsolved murder. So Pam and Lori, working and meeting with law enforcement separately were handed a ring. Miranda was wearing the ring the night she was killed. Might as well give it a try to these ladies, right? Let's see what they can do. Here are some of the impressions the psychics shared about Miranda and the night of her murder. So they had the impressions that the victim was young, had darker hair, innocent and trusting, feeling violated. The crime happened in two locations, indoors and outdoors. Yep, she was beaten down. She was trying to stay conscious. It was not a surprise attack. There was a confrontation before the attack happened. On her back in a defensive position. Something wrong with her neck. No weapon left behind. I I mean, I will say that's not too shabby if they really didn't know anything before. I'm actually really surprised how accurate they were. Like... Especially the one with the crime happened in two, two locations, indoors and outdoors. Like, that's really specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next step was law enforcement then gave Pam and Lori a photo of Miranda Fenner. So here are their impressions. <laughs> Laughing and friendly with her killer. Um, the killer has family ties to the area, but doesn't live in Laurel anymore. She sees him in, like, a flat terrain with wide open spaces, which would not be Laurel. He works within the ranching industry, uh, maybe some kind of outdoor work. He's a person who is used to not having money. He has a tattoo on his arm, which is possibly flowers. He has a criminal history. Thin to medium hair. Wears a cowboy hat. Has some facial hair. She rejected him in some way and he's angry about it. Yeah, he drove a light colored truck. He took her to a ranch or outdoors somewhere. Um, There was some type of sexual assault. He is possibly driving a van and stalking and watching her. Another person knows of Miranda's murder. And lastly, the sidekicks, Pam and Lori, were taken to the crime scene. The movie store doesn't exist any longer. Yeah, the building had been remodeled and it is a gym filled like with workout equipment now. Yeah, they were not told beforehand that the building had been changed. So here are Pam and Laurie's impressions. The building was different. Pictures of movies and videos on shelves. Pam felt an energy in the back of the building, which is where the back room used to be. The words, stop it, you're scaring me. There was a physical fight. Clothing ripped and bare shoulders blood trail out the front door. The murderer was not a boyfriend. Miranda was uncomfortable when he stayed so long before the attack. The killer did not go to the store with the intent of killing Miranda. He felt rebuffed. And he went to the store twice and the first time he didn't have a weapon. He went and got the weapon and came back. There was fear building and building and building and building. Yeah, Her neck was cut. There was a possible witness to the crime. Thick hair. Gruff. Carries tools for his work. Yeah, he's handy with tools. He's addicted to pornography. Um, He has fetishes and perversions. A murder weapon is silver with a black handle. Um, A fixed knife that doesn't fold. It's not a kitchen knife. It's like a hunting knife with a big grip. The knife was rolled up in something and disposed of digging in the dirt, and buried, It was not lost in water. Yeah. Um. They also talked about a grove of trees. Okay, so we know that's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Let's come back to these impressions after we, like, finish up the story. We'll see how accurate your psychics are. <laughs> Mel's, Mel's not buying into this at all. I'm not buying into it. <laughs> uh, we do have a sentencing in this case, so... Let's see how accurate these ladies were. Yeah, but before we go on, let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. Let's do it. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack, the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the Whole Stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take sleep it off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking whole supplement just a couple weeks ago and I already feel like I'm giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in whole supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CVO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement with a mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire Whole Depression Relief Stack at 15% off. Go to WholeSupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Again, go to WholeSupplement.com and use coupon code Rocky Mountain. Mm. Simplify your fight with the Whole Stack from Whole Supplement. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Now back to our story. So with this information they received from Pam Coronado and Lori Campbell, the case still remained cold. In 2013, a woman walked into the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office and submitted a rather large tip. Mm -hmm. She shared that she believed her ex-husband's son was involved in Miranda's homicide. His name is Zachary O'Neill, and in 1998, he was living in Laurel. She said he was violent and extremely scary when he got angry. This woman's ex-husband had told her the night Miranda was murdered, Zachary O'Neill rented a movie from the movie store. Then we don't know how this lead was followed up on or if it was followed up on at all, but the case still sat on the shelf at Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office and Laurel City Police Station. That is until March 19th, 2017, four years later is a really long time to set time Mm -hmm. so zachary o'neill himself walked into yellowstone county detention facility he asked to speak to an investigator because he needed to confess to a crime which is so rare Mm -hmm. so right then there he offered his full confession in the murder of miranda benner oh my gosh that's just so crazy that that's the same guy that the lady had said Mm -hmm. it was him right yeah four years earlier So, O'Neill, who was 18 years old at the time, told the police that on the night of Sunday, November 15th, 1998, he had visited the movie store. He rented four movies for his mother and a porno for himself. Yeah, gross. yeah, the idea of renting a, a video record, a VHS porno is so gross. Yeah. Didn't one of the psychics say that he was addicted to pornography? <gasps> Mel, you skeptic. Yes. She I just am. rolled her eyes. <laughs> when he arrived home, his mother saw he had rented a dirty movie and forced him to return it immediately. That's a good mom. During his confession, O'Neill admitted that he had been high on meth at the time. He was an addict back in 1998. And he decided to rob the store so he could have more cash to buy drugs. Yeah, so it wasn't a sexually motivated crime at all. Yep, he just wanted the money for meth. But the psychic said there was sexual assault. Yeah, one of them did say it was a sexual assault. Yep. So he entered the store and waited till other customers left and then approached Miranda at the register. He used a 22 caliber gun to threaten her and demanded she go to the back room of the movie store. So, two weapons. Yeah, 22 and a knife. So, she did as he demanded. And we know because of the conversation with her mom just a few nights before, Miranda wouldn't have tried to fight him on the money. Yeah, she knew just to hand over the money. No resistance. In the back room, he taped her legs and thought about just leaving with the money. And, oh, I just wish that that's how it happened. I know, I know. But then he remembered that she probably knew who he was. I mean, this is Laurel. It's a small town. Yeah, he was afraid she would turn him into the police. And that's when he attacked her with the knife. He fled the crime scene with his measly couple hundred dollars. And Miranda crawled across the store, struggling to live. She was found by the hunters driving by on Main Street. And she died just a few hours later. O'Neill cried during the confession as he told investigators the grisly details. So what do you think about that? Like the tears of, and the voluntary confession. What do you think? I mean, it sounds like there's no excuse for what he did, mm-hmm. but it does sound like he was high on meth. It's probably been eating him alive mm-hmm. for so long because detectives weren't really that close to finding them unless they'd followed up on that lead. Yeah, what do I you mean, think? It sounds like he would have gotten away with it, but I, mean, I I think that the tears are definitely genuine. Yeah. And I think that he's trying, you know, to, to make good on... As, as, be- as best he can. As he best can't he make can, it right. obviously. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but I guess to take a full responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shortly after the murder, O'Neill went on a hunting trip with his dad in Jordan, Montana. While there, he dug a hole in the forest and disposed of the murder weapon. Just like the psychic said, buried in the earth, Mel. That's right. What a really powerful confession from O'Neill. Mm-hmm. So I know for for him just to walk in and share that story, that's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, with all the information we have from the police investigation and from O'Neill's confession, should we see how our psychics did? Yes, of course. i trying to change my mind. <laughs> no, we don't know everything. But I did a little unscientific data analyst, and this is what I found out. Of the information we listed early in the podcast, here are the results. So there are 53 different descriptions given by Pam Coronado and Lori Campbell. Of the 53, 25 can be proven correct. Did you hear that now? Less than half. (laughs) I I did hear that. I could guess half. (laughs) I think it's (laughs) Such as the location being a video store and the knife was used. I mean, for them to guess it was a video store. I know. 26 are unknown. So for instance, like he's addicted to pornography. We don't have the information to verify that he was in fact addicted to pornography, but he did rent a porno. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like he's handy with tools. We don't know if O'Neill is capable of working power tools. Mm-hmm. We just don't have that information. Yeah. Two can be proven untrue. For instance, the you already mentioned the sexual assault. Yeah. So, Sorry, we know that Miranda was not sexually assaulted the night of her murder. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about those results, Becky? Do you believe in psychics? I, again, I believe in energies. I definitely believe in energies. Do you believe these psychics were able to see what happened? I believe that some people are, she's completely (laughs) laughing at me right now. I believe that some people are more in tune with energies and I do believe that people carry energy and places carry energy. I can see that. She she's just she she doesn't like me anymore. She doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> We're done. Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I think Melanie's opinion of me just went down a little no, bit. But that's okay. No, not that's at all. Okay. I understand mm-hmm. the energy thing for sure. I yeah. as I was telling Becky, I can see both sides to a lot of things. Yes, she is. So very I can good. I can understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So and we know how you feel. Yeah, I don't believe in psychics. Mm -hmm. In the same conversation that O'Neill confessed of Miranda's murder, he also confessed of a rape that he had committed in Billings. So on Saturday, September 5th, 1998, just two months before Miranda's murder, a woman identified with the initials J.L. was attacked and raped. J.L. was delivering newspapers. It was actually her daughter's route, but J.L. was just helping her out for the day. She had just finished and she was waiting on the corner of Broadwater and 24th Street West in Billings. Yeah. Her boyfriend was on his way to pick JL up in his car. JL reportedly heard Fast Feet approaching and was attacked from behind. She was dragged to a nearby dark alley and was raped. After the rape, her attacker, who was admittedly Zachary O'Neill, stabbed her several times and cut her throat. JL was smart. She said that she made, quote, death sounds and pretended to die. Thinking his victim was now dead, O'Neill ran off. JL was able to make her way to be seen on the street and she received the help and emergency care she needed. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, JL survived the attack and attempted murder. O'Neill did not know Jail survived until he read the story in the newspaper the next day. While the police processed the crime scene, they found a very new looking used condom. Okay, so gross, but so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that gross used condom <laughs> is definitely a jackpot of DNA evidence. Yeah, the crime scene techs recovered the condom and its contents and sent it directly to the Montana State Crime Lab. Back in 1998, no match was found. O'Neill was not yet in the system. Yeah, and they had multiple systems. They didn't have, like, CODIS that they have now. Yeah. So, yep, yeah, he wasn't done yet. O'Neill was laying out all of his cards on the table to the investigators. He confessed to the rape of at least four women, attempted murder of out, and the murder of Miranda Fenner. He told the cops that he had overcome the shame and guilt and he had suicidal thoughts every day. He said that at first he, quote, didn't care too much about killing and hurting his victims, but he said that now he did care. Even though law enforcement did believe that he, what what he was saying, they had to be sure. Ten different people confessed to Miranda's murder, but all had been proven liars. Which is, well, I know it's, I mean, it's, it's common, but like, it's so weird it's so how weird. people confess for murders yeah it's not uncommon for criminals to confess to crimes they didn't commit and i don't understand the reason behind that so over and over in o'neill's interviews he was able to give critical details that had not been released publicly he also donated a dna sample and the results came back conclusively o'neill's dna matched the dna found at the crime scene condom he also gave details the investigators hadn't released he knew things he shouldn't have known Montana law enforcement was ready to prosecute JL's rape and attempted murder. Okay, but what about Miranda? Well, that is a more complicated case. Yeah, you see, in the state of Montana, a person cannot be prosecuted with a confession alone. Which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's been quite a few capital cases that have been turned over in expensive appeals because the convict lied about their involvement. Yeah, so law enforcement had to spend over two years conducting interviews to support O'Neill's confession. Yeah, detectives really got to know Zachary O'Neill. O'Neill's record began as a juvenile. small crimes and misdemeanors to begin with and then up to like more serious robberies. O'Neill and his brother and cousin broke into a home in Billings. His mother was the housekeeper, and the boys knew that the owners were out of town. This one break-in cashed out to over $50,000 in stolen guns alone. Not to mention jewelry and coins they had taken. The boys were caught by law enforcement, and they received probation for the crime. Yeah, you know the saying, under 18, walks away clean. That's really some serious burglary. Like, I'm surprised it wasn't a steeper sentence. I agree. Mm Mm-hmm especially with the gun charges stealing guns you get the atf involved Mm -hmm. so just one week after his probation o'neill attacked and raped and attempted to murder Mm -hmm. jl so sad just a week after jl's attack he confessed of another rape of a woman in riverfront park in billings shortly after his crime spree in montana he relocated to washington state which the psychic said remember There, he was arrested for home invasion and gun theft. So here's the crazy thing. Zachary O'Neill was known to Montana law enforcement all along. In fact, he had been interviewed actually back in 2000 for the Miranda Fenner murder. So get this. This is probably the craziest thing about the case. The night Miranda was murdered, Zachary O'Neill's mother's rental account was pulled up on the computer at the movie store. After his interview, he was released and really nothing came of that meeting. And so crazy that that was the last thing up on the screen. That's huge. That's huge. I don't know why. I mean, we don't know. We don't, we're not cops in this investigation, but that should have really been pursued, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In about 2019, about two years since his confession, Zachary O'Neill was extradited to Montana. In July of 2019, O'Neill pleaded guilty to deliberate homicide in the case of Miranda Fenner. He pleaded guilty of deliberate attempted homicide and rape of JL. No charges were brought against O'Neill for the Riverfront Park rape, and this was because the victim had died six years earlier back in 2013. Zachary O'Neill was sentenced to life in prison. On July 25th, 2019, the Fenner family released a statement to the media. We wish to take this opportunity to thank everyone for their kindness and support over the last 20 years. We are relieved there is an end in sight for the nightmare that has caused so much heartache and pain to everyone who knew and loved Miranda. Unfortunately, nothing will bring Miranda back, and we can only pray that other families may be spared the grief that this type of crime inflicts. We wish to thank Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office, the Cold Case Unit, and all agencies and individuals involved in this investigation. Their dedication and time are greatly appreciated. We wish to thank everyone who shared our posters and signs over the years, everyone who didn't give up and continues to search for answers, and everyone who provided so much love and support. That is a really beautiful statement. Yeah. Um, We want to send prayers out to the Fenner family. And the entire community of Laurel, Montana. Yeah, prayers to you all. Miranda really made a huge impact in her short years. She really did. Well, we are going to end on an uplifting note. Yeah, you know what time it is now? Rocky Mountain Redemption. Yes, Montana, we got ya. No worries. Here's a positive news story straight from the Good News Network. So a viral photo of a Montana firefighter reading book to a little girl warms hearts on the internet. A photo taken by a bystander in Montana captured the touching scene of a firefighter reading a book to a little girl in the street taking her mind off the trauma of her family's car crash. While the crews and the girls' parents were busy with tow trucks and police reports, firefighter Ryan Benton took a book out of their fire engine and started reading it to the little girl on the curb. We've learned that the Billings fire responders always carry book bags to give to children in traumatic situations. The bags contain a stuffed animal, a book about firefighters, and other books that can soothe a young child's mind. This is so awesome. That is so cool. So cool that the first responders can do that in those scary situations. Those situations can be really scary for anyone but small children especially yeah I mean it can be traumatic for those kids I just another way that they are real true heroes yeah way to go Montana way to go firefighters yeah so thank you again for being with us today and we'll be back next Wednesday so until next time keep your hands clean hey thanks for listening thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red Handed And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, We'd love to hear your comments and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. What's that email? Our email is rockymountainredhanded at gmail.com. Send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.